All right, guys. So we are in a series called I Feel That Embracing a Biblical Response to Negative Emotions. Today is session number six, where we're going to talk about the emotion of loneliness. We have covered a number of emotions. If you've been with us from the get-go, then you know that we started with fear, the greatest uh, enemy of all. We've talked about grief, the unwanted but necessary companion. We've hit guilt and shame. And then last week, rage age. And then today we are, rage age is just anger basically. And then today we're gonna be talking about loneliness. Loneliness is an epidemic. Everyone watching here, you would be lying if you said that not. At one time in your life, you haven't experienced loneliness. It is a common human emotion. I called it the silent soul killer. Uh, or the real epidemic of our day, but it can truly suck the life out of our souls. It is a huge problem. You know, COVID isolated us. We ended up living forced loneliness in some ways. And many of you who are married might have even been in circumstances where you are with a with a spouse, a partner, and maybe you didn't want to be, and now you were stuck with them. And man, there's nothing lonelier than being lonely in marriage. And um, and even singles. I mean, think you think you know people sort of assume singles are lonely. Not all singles are lonely, by the way. Singles can get lonely just as much as marrieds can get lonely, but it is becoming one of the biggest problems in our culture in, a, in an era where we are so interconnected. I mean, even right now, some of you have never met before, but we, through this little phone, I've got two phones, one's my phone, we can access each other, and yet we are so lonely because we don't truly connect, do we, with this? Very rarely. There are instances where you can create connection, but very few real connections through social media, and most of the connections that we think we're tied to are very superficial. And so it is an interesting emotion. I want to look at, there's a lot in the Bible, by the way, about, about loneliness. Um, so we're going to go through sort of four thought processes here, but I want to focus on the story. I love character studies in some ways because they reflect a lot of what we, uh, are, the emotions that we think about. And Hagar to me is one of, is, is a classic example of a woman who felt very lonely and was in a very painful place in her life. And her loneliness is a stark wilderness in a, in a season when she at one point was surrounded by people. So if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, Abraham was the first man who was called by God and he followed God. He went out by faith and then he had his wife. Sarah and she they were promised a son and of course Abraham's faith was strong but it weakened and one of the ways that it weakened is that he and Sarah tried to take matters into their own hands and so rather than waiting on God's timing by the way we're always going to get in trouble if we try to rush God's timing we need to slow down and let God have his way and so here Abraham and Sarah rushed it they uh, used their maid Hagar to be a surrogate mother so to speak but really Abraham went into her she became a concubine and 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 he had a baby named Ishmael and and though uh, and by the way none of that was a waste God used this relationship between Abraham and Hagar eventually in the New Testament to show that that work of the flesh and there's a symbolic you know sort of spiritual lesson even so even though Abraham was making was sinfully acting and and and, and going to Hagar and to not trusting God for for Isaac it, there's such a reflection of how we try in the flesh to accomplish God's whatever you know God's will is and and it does never works it doesn't work in salvation we cannot earn God's salvation we cannot work our way to salvation but we try and so and so Abraham tried and he thought I could probably fix this and he didn't instead he ended up you know poor Hagar she ended up being a victim in this story and you might say well why was she a victim she was a willing participant no she was a maid in fact she had been brought with them from Egypt back in the um in the story you'll he read about her background actually and so she was sort of a foreigner who 
had joined them. And now here she was, she gets pregnant, she has Ishmael, and, and needless to say, Sarah's not happy about it. So that's where we're gonna pick up the story in Genesis 16, as we think about loneliness. And I'm gonna take you to two passages about Hagar. I, I find, by the way, I've taught a lot about Hagar. I have a series that you can find on our website, livingwithpower.org, and I believe it's one of the free series. Uh, I think it's called Reframe. I don't remember what I called it, but it is in our Bible study section. So if you scroll through our Bible study options, some are for sale, some are not. This one is a free study on Hagar that I did for the Arise ministry, a, a single mom ministry. And I, I love that teaching. So if you're looking for more on Hagar, you'll be able to access it there. In the meantime, we're told the story here at the beginning of chapter 16, where uh, Sarah tells Abraham to, do, to go in with Hagar, and then Abraham listens in verse 2 to the voice of Sarah. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, you know, in some ways, you might say, poor guy, he'd waited 10 years for God to fulfill his promise, and God didn't give him a son yet. And so this is a call for us to persevere patiently. If you've been waiting for the Lord for 10 years, do not give up. Do not give up because um, God has a better plan. And so uh, we will always get in trouble when we try to rush God's timing. And so Abraham figures, well, I've waited 10 years. It's not happened. It's, now it's never going to happen again. No, uh, God's timing is perfect. Again, if you gain, maybe, maybe that's what you need today. Maybe your lesson isn't about loneliness. Maybe you need to be reminded to slow down and to let God have his timing. And so um, Abraham uh, took Hagar in verse 3, the Egyptian, well, I'm in Genesis 16, verse 3. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she, Hagar, saw that she had conceived, she, Hagar, looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarah. So it goes without saying, there's some jealousy, there's some issues there. So in verse five, and Sarah said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she has conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Sarah dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Now, verse seven, then the, the angel of the Lord found her, and I don't, I'm gonna, I'm gonna add a word here, alone, okay? It, the Bible doesn't tell you she's alone, but she's clearly alone, she's in the wilderness, and the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, and this is a symbolic and a real wilderness. Uh, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? And by the way, if you're in a lonely place tonight, that is a great question to ask yourself. Where, where have you come from and where are you going? How did you get here and where do you want to go? It, it's worth the exercise of stopping and journaling that today. Every time you see God asking a question, uh, chapter 3 of Genesis, the first question he found, he, he, he knew that Adam and Eve had sinned and he asked them, uh, where are you? He called to them, where are you? And so this question is so important. Where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. And he gives her a promise in verse 11, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You will call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. This is important. I'm going to read a second account here in a second, but I, I want us to get this, this under this foundation first uh, of scripture and the story that we're focusing on. And so she's alone in the wilderness. She's hurting. We saw why. And she's at her wit's end and God shows up and deals with her heart. And of course he does tell her she needs to go back, but he, but she's so moved by the encounter that she calls, she gives God a name. She names God. You are a God of seeing. 
And truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the Welsh was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Berat. And Hagar bore Abraham's son, and Abraham called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to, to him. Now, uh, we read a little bit more the story. We're going to skip to Genesis uh, 21. And now, um, now it's Sarah's turn to have a baby, as God had promised. And so the, the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, in Genesis 21, verse 1. And the Lord did to Sarah, as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Now he is uh, uh, 100. And so he's waited 25 years for his son. Uh, so this is like 15 years later. It's crazy, right? So Ishmael's 15 now. And so... Um, let's skip a little until the Sarah rejoices, of course, and then you get to verse uh, 8, and it says, now we're in Genesis 21, so there's a second place in the wilderness. Hagar has um, a repetitive times of loneliness here. We're going to hit the second one. And the child grew and was weaned. This is about Isaac, who had grown and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on that day uh, that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born of Abraham, or born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. He's been 15 years with Ishmael. This is hard in every way. And verse 12, but God said to Abraham, remember there's a spiritual lesson here and, and Galatians, Paul addresses that. We'll cover that a different time. For the sake of time today, we're going to focus on loneliness. But you might think, man, the story, man, it sounds like, like, why, why are they about to do what they're about to do? Well, there was a, there was a, there's a lesson that God is imprinting on us about the importance of casting out the old and, 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 and honoring that which is spiritual. So the work of the flesh must die. The work of the spirit must live. And again, you can read about it in Galatians. But in verse 12, God says to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy, because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he's your offspring. Remember, God had already promised to Hagar some things. And, and, and then so in verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And doesn't that just feel lonely? I mean, here she is. She's got this kid. I mean, he's not a baby anymore, but you just saw her in the wilderness before and she's at her wit's end and she doesn't know what to do. And like and so many single moms, it's just it's a painful season. But now it's like happening again. And and she it feels stark and lonely. And she departed and, and listened and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And uh, I think so much of loneliness is that, isn't it? Wandering in the wilderness without a purpose, without friends, without direction. Sometimes even when you're surrounded by people, you can feel like you're wandering alone and without a clear purpose maybe, wondering whether the season you're in will ever end, but it feels heavy, doesn't it? And so verse uh, 15, when the water in the skin was gone, so things just went from bad to worse. She's already emotionally alone and, and you can feel the despair. Now the water's gone and she's in the wilderness and uh, she put the child under one of the bushes. And she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. She's so convinced they're both going to die. She's like, I can't even see him dying because they got nothing. They're alone and they don't see any way out of their condition. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. She didn't pray. She just maybe didn't even have energy to pray. Maybe she was disappointed in this God of Abraham, who in some ways she was let down by Abraham. So again, you talk even about, you know, being hurt by the church. I mean, this is her 
the spiritual leader of the time. And she's just suffered this deep pain in it and uh, by this man who's supposed to be a godly man. And, and, uh, and she's weeping. And God, verse 17, heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God who had promised her in Genesis 16 is the same God who now is saying, look, I've not forgotten you. I've not forgotten my promise to you. In fact, I am closer than you think. It's amazing. He sees her, he speaks to her, he encourages her. He says, up, lift up the boy. Then God, in verse 19, opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She couldn't see it before. Perhaps God miraculously put it there. I don't know if she was too thirsty to see it. I don't know. I can just tell you that the moment God opened her eyes, she saw this well of water. Everything changed when she became aware of the presence of God in her life. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. They did not die. They did not die alone. In fact, God was very much with them. And so we're talking about loneliness today. And I wanted to use those as backdrops. Uh, there's um, one of my favorite Psalms, by the way. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but scripture knows, God knows the importance of understanding that he knows how lonely we can feel. David commonly and other psalmists commonly wrote of their affliction with feeling alone. Psalm 25 talks about it. There's many references in the Psalm. Psalms 27 verse 10, Psalm 68 verses five and six, if you wanna jot them down. Psalm 25 verse 16, you see it all over. Psalm 102, the psalmist tries, for my days pass away like smoke. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my food because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. And then he says, I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. So be not mistaken. If you feel lonely, God understands that emotion so well. And he has given us ample opportunity in scripture to feel that emotion and to understand in that emotion what we should do. And so here's point number one today as we kind of give you, I want to give you sort of, you know, four ideas or four principles to build on as we consider our own struggle with loneliness. Number one is this, the lie of loneliness is the belief that I am alone. The lie of loneliness is the belief that I am all alone. In loneliness, I'm single, 50 now, 50 in a couple of weeks. And, uh, and we all know that because I said it a million times. But the truth is that I have lived some lonely seasons in my life. My loneliest season probably was the season when I worked a lot of overnight shifts in the ER. And when I would come home from the ER or as I was getting ready to go to my overnight shift, it felt very lonely. There's no one in my house and it was off off schedule. And so there's a lot of, you know, obviously hormonal, emotional, you know, night, day type things. And it was not a stretch of time that I worked nights. It was more like couple of days a month or three days a month or four days a month. And so it was constant back and forth. And it always felt so lonely. I was living in downtown Chicago and I did the bulk of that season. And, and it, it's, it was very lonely to be in a city where I was new in the city and I would be going to work when everybody's coming home. It just messed with me. I understand loneliness. And what I've learned, and I believe this is true, is that the lie of loneliness is the belief that I'm all alone. That's a lie. If you're going through a lonely season right now, the biggest lie you will believe is the lie that you're alone. You are never alone. Hagar thought that she was alone. 
Two places in scripture she'd given up in despair. Neither times was she alone. Who was with her? God Almighty was with her. We'll get to why and how we need to open up our eyes to that. But the reason we feel lonely is that we lose sight of the truth. One of my favorite verses as it pertains to loneliness is in the New Testament in Hebrews. But by the way, it is not just a New Testament verse. In fact, I just put in, in, in the Google, like, you know, can look up lists of verses. And, and I put in like, you know, Bible verses to prove that God is God will never leave us. And there are so many of them dating all the way back to Deuteronomy 31 verse 8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. You go to Joshua again and again, be strong and courageous. Do not be fear. Do not fear or be in dread for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. But Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6 are some of my favorite verses where, where it talks, uh, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. But then he moves and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you may say, what does that have to do with money? Well, everything, because people panic when they feel like they don't have enough provision. And what, it, what God is saying is that he is our provision. And so he's always with us. Those words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love praying with Sam this week. We've spent a lot of time praying in the car. And one of the things he says, he must have learned this verse in his homeschool. Homeschool is amazing because, by the way, you don't have to homeschool to teach your kids Bible verses. But if you're homeschooling, you probably have a Bible class. And this, this is great. And one of the verses he memorized was the verse in Numbers, I believe, that talks about that God is not like us. He's not like man. He doesn't lie. If he says it, it's true. And he will remind God of that in prayer. And listen. Over and over in scripture, we hear that truth that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, for the New Testament believer, that was the whole point of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 uh, verses 35, 36. By the way, I just finished teaching the faithful study last week. It went great. Some of you were praying for me. That's why we missed study last week. And, and, and I talk a lot about the new covenant in the six-week study. And it's so important because the whole premise of the new covenant. So what is a covenant? It's God's promise to his people. And throughout scripture, God makes promises to his people. He made it to Abraham from the beginning about what would be the condition of their relationship, which was a condition based all on God's love. We didn't have to do anything. And so moving into the new covenant is the promise that we can be in a binding relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, covenant and next semester, we're going to learn in Hebrews all about these things. The difference is that in the new covenant, Jesus promises through his death and burial and resurrection that then he comes and lives in the New Testament believers. So we're not just now like God isn't just way out there. He doesn't show up to us through different signs. We don't have to have the Ark of the Covenant with us. We don't need the cloud by day and the fire by night. All those are symbols in the Old Testament of the presence of God. No, in the New Testament through Christ, God himself comes to live in us through the Holy Spirit of God. You go, man, that doesn't make any sense. How? I don't know. But, but it's the truth. Ask any follower of Jesus Christ. It's the truth. Galatians 2.20 is probably one of the most basic Christian verses on that. Galatians 2.20 summarizes what the Christian life is, which is basically that we have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, uh, he, nevertheless Paul writes, um, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So for us in the New Testament, when we talk about like God is with us, we don't just mean like, oh, he's somewhere here in this room next to me. Oh, yeah, you know what? God is, we mean like he's with us, he's in us. Over and over again in the writings of Paul, he reminds us that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, he wrote in one of the letters, uh, the prison epistles. And and, and you see this, this promise. In fact, Jesus himself prophesied of his or explained his presence with us he told us in john chapter 14 this would be a good time probably to hit that and then i think i had it a little bit later in my thoughts but since i'm 
in this section here where Jesus tells the disciples in, in his discourse to the disciples in John chapter 14. This is shortly before he goes to the cross. He says, he tells them about what's going to happen. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And you know the way to where I'm going. And so they kind of freak out. They go, where are you going? I don't get it. And, and he goes on and, and does this teaching on the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, um, let me find the verse I'm looking for, where he says, uh, it is to your advantage that I go with, uh, that I go before you. Now I'm not finding the exact verse. You know that verse that says, it is to your advantage that I go, because he says, basically, if I go, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who's going to come and live in you. And uh, it is somewhere here in chapter 14. And... Uh, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. And, and the whole gift of the, uh, after the ascension of Christ. And by the way, if you know this specific, whoever can find that specific verse, you can jot it down. Uh, look it up where it says, it is to your advantage that I go because if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit cannot come and live in you. So the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. He abides in us. And the entire Christian life is this battle between dying to self and allowing the Holy Spirit, reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to the Holy Spirit. And so the presence of God is always with us. And so for the New Testament believer, this idea of I am alone is a lie. The lie of loneliness is the belief that I am all alone. Listen, Christian, you are never alone. You're never alone. By the way, if you're not a Christian, you're also never alone in the sense that God is omnipresent. He's always, this is one of the characteristics of God. It's his attribute, but it's a different understanding than the New Testament believer who now has the Holy Spirit of God living in us. Okay, this is important. So that when you are in a place of loneliness, we need to be, and I will get to that in point number four, of practicing these truths that we hold so dearly. And, and it's not enough just to like know them. We need to be practicing them in a moment when we're super alone. And so the reason we feel lonely is that we lose sight of this truth. The truth is that we're never alone. The reason we end up lonely is because of a series of bad decisions. Now, now we saw with Hagar, some of those decisions, you know, you can be like, well, what are you saying that if I'm lonely, it's because I've done something bad? No, listen, um, the bad decisions uh, can sometimes be because of something you've done. So some of the bad decisions were within my control, right? A lot of people end up lonely because of our own decisions. And we, we, we reap consequences to sin. God uses um, every circumstance in our life for good. So there's never a situation where you can be like, oh, I sinned so bad, I'm so in trouble. No, God will use it. Everybody who's walked through a dark season can tell you, man, even if it was my fault to end up there, God somehow used it for good. The moment we repent and turn back to him. And sometimes some of the bad places of loneliness that we come to, some of the bad decisions were out of our control. Some things happened to us and put us in a place of deep loneliness. You might've been abandoned by the person you were married to when you didn't expect it. I know people who had their honeymoon, the man abandoned them, a woman who have felt, have been physically abandoned by the men that they married. That is a very lonely place. People who have been abused. You can, the list is endless. Of unexpected death where you had a companion. Every widow can tell you who's, uh, even ones who may not have been very happily married, the companionship of someone with you and all of a sudden they're gone. That's a bad thing that you didn't cause. It just happened. Other times like with Hagar, we see that bad things were done to her and what could she have done? And yet here she was in a place of loneliness. And whether you're the cause of your loneliness or you're the victim of your loneliness, the reality is still that the lie of loneliness is the belief that you are all alone because you are never alone. The lie is that you are alone. You are never alone. So the reason we are lonely, uh, I love this sentence that I jotted down here in my notes. The reason we are lonely is never a reason to stay in a lonely place. All right. The reason we are lonely is never a reason to stay in a lonely place. 
So if you're listening right now, you tuned in, maybe you saw the, the thing about loneliness and you're like, I really need encouragement. And by the way, I don't care when you listen to this teaching, if you're listening to, to it later on the podcast, if you're listening to it in the privacy of your home later, you don't need to be live to listen to it. We love that people are asking for these messages and listening because we need encouragement. But just because you're in a lonely place right now doesn't mean we need to stay there. That's the whole point of doing this, is that we understand the truth and we move out of this feeling of loneliness to the reality of the spiritual experience, which is that we are always with God. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Here's a second big idea. So the first one, the lie of loneliness is the belief that I'm all alone. So here's the second one. The lie of loneliness spirals you down the path of hopelessness and despair. The lie of loneliness, that lie that I am all alone, spirals us down a path to loneliness, to hopelessness and despair. That's what happened to Hagar. Why I love the story of Hagar because it's so emotionally raw. And you see this woman sort of walk into the wilderness, wandering with every step she's taking, she's becoming more hopeless and more in despair. And it is exactly what happens to those of us who have struggled with seasons of loneliness. Or maybe you're struggling right now, maybe you're past just feeling lonely to where you feel very hopeless and in despair. See, when you believe the lie that you're alone, you begin telling yourself that you don't really matter. That's the biggest lie that Satan wants you to believe, that you don't matter. Of course you matter. Jesus loves you so much that he died for your sins. He's alive for you. There is purpose for your life, even if you can't see it right now. But the minute you give in to the lie that you are all alone, you are given into the lie that you don't matter. You start telling yourselves that. I've done that. What good is it if I'm here? I could be gone. No one would notice. Single people, I think we have every opportunity to say those things to ourselves when we get in this spiral of hopelessness and despair. When you believe the lie that you're alone, you start believing that things will never change. Things will change. I'm old enough now to tell you that you, this week, I'm telling you, I have wished to be alone. And I, I've said that to my mom. She's been visiting for the graduation and I thought, man, I just need alone time. And, 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 and loneliness, there's, it's all seasons. And, and listen, maybe you're watching and you're like, well, my season of loneliness has been 40 years long. Listen, compared to eternity, you're going to spend eternity with so many believers. I hope that, well, there won't be negative emotions in heaven, but can you imagine if there was? Because most of us introverts would be like, dude, I cannot, I need like a pasture for myself. I cannot be around all these people all the time. And heaven feels so communal all the time. And, and that makes me a little bit claustrophobic sometimes, right? But, but of course, now we're thinking about heaven in human terms. So Please stay excited about heaven if you're an introvert. I don't know how your mansion will be. You probably have a huge mansion just for yourself. God knows who you are, but there won't be negative emotions in heaven. We'll have love and we'll have the desire to be united in Christ. It will be different. We won't have the same battles with sin anymore because sin will be no more. So, so but, 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 but things will change even here on this earth. When you believe the lie that you're alone, you reach the place of despair where you convince yourself that there's no point to living anymore. And I think that's the extreme point of despair. Before you get to that point, often what I've noticed, some of the negative emotions that are born, the spiral of loneliness leads you, leads you into self-pity. That's probably the most common cancer of the soul that most of us who get caught up in, in seasons of loneliness are feeling self-pity, discontent, and I hate my life. I wish I had their life. And, and social media gives you every invitation for that. Listen, you never know what's going on in their life. It's all, like yesterday, it's a great example of it. Yesterday, I put a great picture of me and Ben. Honestly, Ben is my nephew. He graduated from high school yesterday. I went to the high school graduation. Diana got the perfect picture. Honestly, I love that picture. Very few people like pictures of themselves. I love that picture. I love it of Ben. I love it of me. Can I tell you the truth? When she was, when he stopped here before he went to the graduation in front of my house, I took some pictures of them. 
I looked so bad. I, I made her erase them. I took the phone. I was like, delete, delete. She kept a couple of them. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is not me. I look so bad. But what didn't I put on the social media? I put the one perfect picture. There were about 15 horrible ones. I went upstairs and changed clothes because what I had on was so bad. Why am I telling you this? Because that's the lie of social media. Most of us are going around going, man, they got so many friends, man, they're living this life. I'm the only one sitting here all alone. Listen, it's a lie. You're looking at one great picture of the 20 horrible ones within an hour of each other. It wasn't even like a week later. It was an hour later. She just happened to catch the picture in a good angle. And then that's what you see on social media. So you see happy faces, you see glitter or whatever it is, and, and the reality is that there's pain and there's this, this reality of looking at a picture and going, man, I'm middle-aged and I need to watch what I'm, you know, this and that and all the things. And you don't know that's besides all the tension of family and leading up to having a lot of people in one spot and all the things. And so the point is, don't get caught in this trap of discontent and self-pity and envy that is born out of loneliness. And, the, and now the, the, the biggest device that makes us in a, in a place of loneliness jump to hopelessness and despair is this, is this lie that says everybody else is living a better life than I am and a more comfortable life than I am. And it's just not true. And so the other thing that happens, I think, when it comes to spiraling negative emotions is the sin of escapism. And we just go to whatever it is that makes us feel good in the moment. And I think that, honestly, I think that is one of the biggest reasons why pornography is flourishing. I think it's because like never before, we have a generation who is just heavily lonely and there's a lack of community and, and, and healthy community and there's a lack of relationship. And so people think that in, a, in some form of sexual fantasy escape, they will find happiness and it never, ever leads to happiness. In fact, it only leads to more despair, more self-pity, more discontent, more disgust, and eventually to hopelessness and despair. So the lie of loneliness will spiral you down a path to hopelessness and despair. Here's the three, third big idea. The lie of loneliness can only be set free with the truth of the gospel. The lie of loneliness. You say, we understand the badness of loneliness. You don't need to spend a lot of time on that at this point. We have spent a lot of time on it just to validate the emotion, but also to understand now, flipping the script, the lie of loneliness can only be set free with the truth of the gospel. Nothing else, nothing else will bring you freedom. Friends, listen, we think that if I get enough friends, I'll be able to overcome loneliness. Uh, no, you can be in a room full, in a crowd full of people and still feel lonely. Only the truth of the gospel is going to set you free from the lie of loneliness. And what is the truth of the gospel? What that God sees worth in you, so much so that he sent his only beloved son to die for you. Why the famous verse in scripture is John 3, 16. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. God didn't say for God so owed the world or for God so wanted to prove his presence to the world. No, for God so loved the world. He loves you. And, 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 and God sees enough worth in you, even if you don't see it in yourself, so that he says, man, for you, I give my son. And uh, God's sacrifice for you binds you to him forever. That's the truth of the gospel. He sacrifices his son for you. And the minute you put your trust in him, you have a, an unconditional, eternal bond with him. And by the way, the old covenant is awesome in its sim symbolism and its illustration of the truth about, about this type of covenant God gives us. In Genesis chapter, I think it's uh, 15, uh, God gives puts Abraham to sleep and shows him this covenant. He puts two rows, he takes animals and he cuts them in half. And then, and then Adam, uh, Joe, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Abraham is sound asleep 
And God, in, in while Abraham's asleep, God gives him the stream where he puts the animals on both sides and then God sets fire between them and walks through. And it was really God's way of saying, this covenant is based not on your being true to me, but it is all based on me, God's saying, on his unconditional commitment to Abraham. That same unconditional commitment, nothing we do earns us salvation. It's all because of God. So you can't screw up. Maybe you are in a place of hopelessness and despair. Maybe you are in a place where you have been escaping in pornography. Maybe that's the only way you've been able to deal with this loneliness. Maybe your sin, I don't know what your sin is. And maybe you think you're past the, tr the truth and the joy and the freedom of the gospel. Listen, there is no greater lie. Jesus loves you and he gave his life for you. And if you put your trust in him, he will forgive you all of those sins, even, listen, even if you thought that you should know better. We all should know better. And yet God's grace, the gospel message is that he meets us where sin abounds in Romans chapter uh, five. He says, where sin abounds, their grace abounds even more. And so God's promise to you is the certainty of his presence. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's given you the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 7. And then God's faithfulness says that even when you are faithless, he remains faithful. That's in 2 Timothy, uh, I believe it's chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Timothy 2, 13. When you are faithless, he remains faithful. So the lie of loneliness can only be set free with the truth of the gospel. Last but not least, the lie of loneliness is silenced with the practice of the presence of God. All right, this is important because you go, okay, well, all right, this is really helpful. First, the loneliness is a lie. If you believe the lie, you're gonna go down spiral into hopelessness and despair, but, but that's offset by the truth of the gospel. You can be free of loneliness and all the baggage of loneliness because of the gospel, which is given to you freely in Christ Jesus. But now you go, well, I have the gospel. How do I overcome this loneliness? Well, the lie of loneliness is silenced. It's shut up and silenced with the practice of the presence of God. The gospel truth doesn't change. He is with you always. The character of God doesn't change. What needs to change is my awareness of him. It is the story of Hagar being stuck in a wilderness, not seeing God. Why is it so important that she names the well Beer Lahai Laroi? Because she says, this is the God of seeing. Her eyes were open first to see God in Genesis. Uh, the first one I read, uh, 16, I believe it is. That's the, the first place we met her. She calls it... Um, uh, you are a God of seeing. So her eyes are open to him. And then in Genesis 21, now she's, her eyes are open to the well of water that he's given her there. And by the way, Jesus is the living water that never runs dry. Think of, of the parallelism between Genesis 21. If you are a student of the Bible, I think you'll appreciate sort of that story of Hagar and, and God. And then in John chapter four, Jesus and the woman at the well, and, and he promises her there too. She's blinded by her own loneliness. She's at, you know, in the middle of the day at the well in John chapter four, and she's hurting and she's ashamed of maybe her lifestyle and her her stuff and and she's avoiding everybody and and, and god jesus and, and god in the form of, of man jesus meets her there and he engages her in a conversation and and then he opens her eyes to the reality that he is the living water that never runs dry again just such a perfect explanation of it in the old testament of what's to come in the new testament and, and this is what happens to hagar is that she is, becomes aware of the presence of god and one of the things I wrote about in Fractured Faith, I think is so important, which is this prayer. God, open my eyes that I may see, open my ears that I may hear, open my mouth that I may proclaim all that you've done in my life. And so much of the Christian life is, uh, it's not us trying harder, it's us becoming more aware of what God has already promised us in Christ Jesus. We must learn to recognize the truth that we are never alone. We must guard against settling for escapism and sin we must remember that everyone else is a little bit lonely too. 
I think this is such an important truth in this era. Christian, if you're going through a season of loneliness, remember everybody else is a little lonely too. And if nothing else, maybe it will give you, uh, first of all, a desire for deep community. And we, we, we hunger for that for you here. We've created, we're trying to create venues and enjoy. It constantly reaches out to people. If you're looking for people to pray with, we, we have the resource, the human resources to be able to pour into your life. I may not be the one always calling you, but we trust our community explicitly in terms of their belief in the word of God being inspired and true. And listen, we will guide you into truth as best we can. And we will help you find local churches where God has planned for us to be connected. And despite all the church hurt, listen, I myself am a victim of church hurt. And I can still tell you, God will work through your local church in order to help you find community. But also remember that other people are lonely too. And so when you feel that scuffle, that dissonance with others in the world, as everyone's always so upset and chafing these days, listen, remember, remember that they might just be a little bit lonely too. And so we must be willing to risk our way slowly back to community, to other people. And by the way, we must be willing to risk our way a little bit back to God. And so how is it? So here's, here's a, as we close, how is it that you're going to practice the presence of God in your life this week? That might be a good place. There's a couple questions that came up in the study. One is in Genesis uh, 21, uh, 16, where God asks Hagar, uh, where have you been and where are you going? That might be a very good diagnostic question to you for you. Where are you? It does, not even as it pertains to loneliness, but in general in your life. Where have you been? Where are you going? And, and then this uh, question of um, how, how are you going to practice the presence of God in your life? The, Brother Lawrence was an old monk, I think, in the Catholic, early Catholic Church and a follower of Jesus. And he wrote this wonderful little book called uh, Practicing the Presence. And he talks about uh, ways that he would practice the presence of God as a cook in the kitchen. He had the lowliest job in this uh, place where he lived and he uh, it became a place of worship because he saw that everything he was doing was was for the glory of God and I'm telling you we need more of that today and so what are some practical ways you can practice the presence of God I know there's been some you know pastors that I've listened to like Pete Scazzaro talks about taking many times during the day you know uh, they call them the offices but he'll stop four different times in the day for like five or ten minutes not a very long time and he'll just stop and and quiet his, his soul and his mind and reflect on the presence of God. And so there's a lot of practical ways that you guys can do this. Maybe go for a walk, instill habits in your Christian life that help you become aware of the presence of God. And I genuinely believe though, we are looking for the resolution of our loneliness through other people. God, I believe, will heal, heal us through the awareness of his presence with, with us always. And there will be seasons where we will have more people or less people in our life. And I think that has less to do with our feelings of loneliness than, than anything. I jotted this, this line, it's a little wordy, but, but sort of this concept, the lie of temporary horizontal loneliness, right? What I mean is this human, you know, the lie of temporary horizontal loneliness is only overcome with the truth of our eternal vertical fellowship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. The lie of temporary horizontal loneliness, it's not a forever loneliness, this horizontal loneliness with other humans, is only overcome with the truth of our eternal vertical fellowship with our Father through Jesus Christ. You have eternal fellowship vertically, so you never have to worry about whether you have a lot of people in your life or a few. You are never alone. God is with you. He loves you. He gave his life for you. And so if you are in a season of loneliness, um, you are in good company. Many in scripture have been lonely and uh, the spirit uh, of God dwells in you. And Christ is ready to, he's our friend, he's our savior. And let's, let's, let's be aware of his presence in our life.